This is the Chew Truth, and boy, we got a lot to cover today. It was probably one of the best weeks in the NFL that has been there for a while. It was wildly entertaining. So we have some headlines to cover, just some general headlines. Uh, from this past week, we have another division to talk about in the NBA. So that will be our third division, and we'll have three more, so we're going to be halfway through. And then I have my college football playoff predictions. So those should be interesting. Um, so, let me start off, as I usually do, with an artist I was listening to uh, for this past week, and a story. So, actually, for the artist, I've been listening to three. I've been going around three. So, I'm going to have those three, well, one today, and then the other two for the next two times. So, that's really nice, because that, that, that means I can continue listening to them and then branch out to more and more and more. So this one I actually heard from a friend. Um, this band is called The Wallows. I really, really like them. They're very, they have a very old sound, old soul sound to them that I really like. Um, I believe I am an old soul, not only in music, but in heart. I'm like an old man inside a young person inside another young person. It's weird. Um, yeah. So anyways, let me go over some of their songs. So some of the ones that I, really, that I really, really like are Pleaser, Uncomfortable, Drunk on Halloween, uh, Pictures, of, Pictures of Girls, 1980s horror film. Those last two come in their EP called Spring, Spring EP. And they have another album called Nothing Happens. I have not listened to that yet, but I, I'm going to. I'm going to. So I, I hope it's really, really good. I really like their music. You should definitely check it out. Once again, Wallows. W-A-L-L-O-W-S. Really good. Now for the story. This story I, this story is really what got me into learning more about NFL player stories. This and then Nick Foles. This is the story of Deshaun Watson. Now I'm not going to go over the whole story. I can't do that. I can't you know, do all that. But I can somewhat summarize it. Very young kid. Started freshman year high school. Did really, really good. Uh, senior year, insane. Played on an injured left knee. Um, never complained about it. Never complained to his coaches. Never winced for one moment. Always persevering on. Always doing what needs to be done. When his mom had tongue cancer while he was, I think, in his senior year of high school, he worked in a, in a courthouse filing papers doing anything that that was needed to pay off her bills from the hospital. Never once mentioned that to his coach. And yes, part of it's that, like, you know, you should probably tell people these things so they can help you. But the, 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 the uh, takeaway is not that. The takeaway is he is a hard worker. He doesn't complain about anything. He'll figure out how to get stuff done. College, freshman year, eventually got... Eventually got to start. Played against, yeah, South Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina Gamecocks, with a torn ACL. Torn ACL, freshman year. Fresh. That is crazy. Again, didn't complain about it for one minute at all. Of course, he had to take his. He had to get that repair, go under surgery, all that stuff, and he eventually did. But to complain about it at all, he had that. Feeling that, hey, we've been losing to the Gamecocks for quite some time, for a few years now. 
where we're going to change that. He has that leadership about him. He has that, I'm going to do that mentality. He has a mentality of, I'm going to figure out a way to make that happen. And no one's going to stop me. I'm not going to complain about, oh, this doesn't go right or whatever. Uh, first year in the NFL with, with the Texans, rookie year, played seven games, then was out with an ACL injury that he got during practice. Again, did not complain for one second. Had that idea in his head. Hey, I got injured, but you know what? I had a great seven games, and going forward, oof, I'm, I'm going to get the MVP, we're going to win the Super Bowl. He had all these big plans. He's ready. He's determined. Hard worker. Doesn't complain about anything. And then second year in the NFL, tore it up, played great. Had some sort of like chest problem, uh, some sort of longer chest problem. I don't remember what it is, but it was something along those lines. Again, didn't complain about it for one second. Fought through it, did anything possible to win. This year, he's in the MVP talks. He's up there with some of the greatest quarterbacks. He's already broken several records. Phenomenal player, but even more phenomenal story. And he has the heart of a champion, has the heart of a lion. That's the big takeaway. I'm going to have the article down in the, in the description. It's by Bleacher Report. So definitely read it, check it out. Inspirational, great story. Now I'm going to move on. Okay, I'm going to talk about one, two, three, four. Four headlines that I found or came up with. Well, all these I came up with um, from this past week. So let's get into it. The first headline is regarding the Dolphins and Redskins game. The Dolphins lost, as you know, 17 to 16. And this is the Dolphins are taking are tanking. Dolphins are tanking like a boss. 17 to 16. Instead of kicking the extra point to go to overtime, give yourself a chance, maybe even tie it. I would have loved to see a tie. I, I would have found that hilarious. I was actually rooting for a tie. Just because of how funny and absurd that would be. Instead, with Ryan Fitzpatrick in the game, because they subbed out Josh Rosen, they benched him. They went for two points. They went for the two-point conversion instead of kicking the extra point to go to overtime. And if you look at that two-point conversion, it looked horrible. It was a bad screen pass that was dropped. It wouldn't have gone anywhere anyways. It was bad. And, and I know that players, most players, don't like to tank, but with the Dolphins, it's just too funny. And that's why I had to include that in there. They're tanking like a boss. They didn't go for two. They went for Tua. That, that's what happened. Next headline. And this one's a bit more discomforting, a bit more oof. The 2015 draft class of quarterbacks. The 2015 quarterback draft class is on its way out. Some members of that 2015 draft class that are quarterbacks, aside from the top two I'm going to talk about, which were the uh, top two picks for that draft, actually. So aside from them, we have Brett Hundley, Bryce Petty, Trevor Simeon, Sean, Ma Sean Mannion, Garrett Grayson. Bryce Petty and Garrett Grayson are out of the league entirely. 
Sean Mannion, Trevor Simeon, Brett Hundley are all backups. With um, Trevor, yeah, Trevor Simeon and Brett Hundley being backups for young quarterbacks. Brett Hundley with the rookie uh, being backup for the rookie Kyler Murray, Trevor Simeon being backup for second-year starter Sam Darnold. Now the other two quarterbacks I want to talk about from this draft are Marcus Mariota, who is the second pick, and James Winston, who is the first pick. These two had horrible weekends. Jameis Winston, three interceptions against the Panthers that totaled him to a team five turnovers. And Marcus Mariota could not score against the Denver Broncos. Yes, the Denver Broncos have a good defense led by Von Miller and with the addition of Bradley Shubb. And they have a good secondary. They're good. But putting up an egg against them is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. The, narr the narrative around Marcus Mariota is that he's far too inconsistent. He, uh, he isn't healthy all the time. He's always injured at some point. And with James Winston is that he cannot get his turnovers under control. I said earlier this year, before the season started, that this was essentially a do-or-die for James Winston and Marcus Mariota. That if it didn't work out this year, it may be time to move on. And I think that it's starting to look like that is the case. The third headline that I have is regarding the Chargers, and this hurts me, but I have to say it. These are the same old Chargers, and they have a great roster. They have a great roster. They have Phil Rivers, Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler, Jermaine James, Joey Bosa, but the problem is that they are, most of them are injured. Yes, Philip Rivers is not injured. Melvin Gordon is not injured. Austin Eckler is not injured. Joey Bosa is not injured. But the key pieces on the defensive side and some on the offensive side are injured all not all the time, but frequently. So that contributes to poor play. And right now it's poor offensive play. The defense is alright. It struggles against the run, but it's poor offensive play. And that leads to them losing easy gimme games against the Broncos, against the Steelers. Those are games that you should win. And right now they're doing the classic Chargers way where they lose easy gimme games, they get injured, and they don't they don't take advantage of an opportunity that's right there. They're two and four. The Chiefs are on a two game skid. If the Chargers were to actually win, the opportunities would go right before them. They would have the division in their hands, being in the spot for a number one seed or number two seed, and right in playoff contention, right in Super Bowl contention, actually. But instead, they're two and four. Best you can hope for at this point is a miracle to get to a wild card game. To get a fifth or sixth seed. It's kind of the case. That is the case, actually. Not kind of, it is the case. And the fourth one, which is probably what everyone has been talking about this past weekend, is those 
dang referees. Those dang refs, man. Monday night, especially Monday night football, there were two penalties called on Trey Flowers that were not there. They were phantom calls. And they were illegal use of hands to the face. Now, on replay, you can see it was really to the shoulder. It was higher up on the shoulder, right? Along this area right here. But not at all to the neck or head. And these two penalties, as minor as they seem, a five-yard penalty, cost the Lions the game. One of them set up the Packers for a touchdown in the next couple plays, where it was from Aaron Rodgers with a beautiful pass to Lazar. The second penalty gave the Packers the ability to run out, run out the clock and eventually kick what was a 23-yard game-winning field goal by Mason Crosby, leaving no time at all for the Lions to come down the field and kick their own field goal. This simply cannot happen. But it did. It did. Now for the Cowboys against the Jets game, that was another one that I found was just ridiculous the amount of penalties that were called. The last drive of the game, and these, this was actually within the last two minutes, within the last two minutes, of the Cowboys' drive. Six penalty flags were thrown in a row. Now, one of them was declined, leading to four penalties actually taking effect in a row. So they went penalty, declined, and then four in a row that were accepted. But still, it, it's ridiculous. It takes energy out of the game. It takes momentum away from whichever team. It really sucks the life out of whoever's watching, whether it be a fan or a casual watcher who doesn't care about who wins, myself. It really sucks the energy out of the game, or the um, the drama out of the game of, oh, can the Cowboys get a touchdown and then a two-point conversion send this to overtime? It really made it bland. And even when the Cowboys did score, it was like, and let's kind of get this game over with. And so the big takeaway here is that referees, yes, call penalties. But don't call the ones that are like, ah, maybe. I'm not really sure. No, you gotta be sure, 100% sure, and you gotta be able to justify it. Yes, call penalties when it matters the most. But make sure that the penalties are actually there and are valid. Don't end up messing the game. Don't end up messing the game up by trying to be too careful or being too carefree. Try to find that middle line. Because, of course, you don't want something like the Saints and Rams game happen again where, where they don't want to ruin the game. In those situations, yes, throw the flag. But in the situations like this, with, with a Trey Flowers... You're not validated to throwing a flag there for the Cowboys-Jets game. Some of those weren't for marginal, or barely even there. You could argue against it. In those cases, yeah, don't throw it. Don't. Because it ruins the game. It ruins the, it ruins the drama, it ruins the momentum of each team. So just future lesson for referees out there.
Okay. Now, now I get to talk about the. Now I get to talk about the Central Division in the Eastern Conference. So the Eastern. So for the Central Division in the Eastern Conference, it consists of the Milwaukee Bucks, Indiana Pacers, Detroit Pistons, Chicago Bulls, and Cleveland Cavaliers. Now I'm gonna do something a bit different than the previous two times that I've been doing this sort of division summary. The previous two times I was talking about their plan, like the plan for each team, and their goal. But then I realized, ah, that doesn't really work because they're pretty close to each other, very few differences, and the team almost half-assed, excuse my language, half-assed in a way. So instead I'm going to more talk about the way, the way that I feel about the team. Not in a prediction way, or not in a goal way, or in a plan way. If that comes up, great. But it has to come up naturally, in a, in a way that makes sense, rather than being forced. Because some of these teams don't have a plan. Some of them don't have a goal. Some of them, it's very straightforward. Like the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's very straightforward. Like the Phoenix Suns, not mostly straightforward. They're still freaking... That was a bad example. Atlanta Hawks, very straightforward. That's a better example than the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns, I have no idea what's going on with them, but we'll get to them when we get to them. So let me start off with the Milwaukee Bucks. They are definitely going to take a hit defensively with the absence of Malcolm Brogdon, who went to another who went to another Central Division team, the Indiana Pacers, who I'm going to talk about next. But but the Milwaukee Bucks, they still have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who can hold down the fort defensively who's a monster offensively. I think that they're going to do a lot more of what they did last year with um, with Budenholzer as the head coach, which is, you know, Giannis, you just bulldoze into the paint, do what you want there, kick it out to whoever's open for a three, and everyone has the green light to just shoot it. And that's further proven by their addition of Cal Corver with their uh, retention of um, Brooke Lopez and still having Chris Middleton in the mix as well. So I think it's going to be a lot of threes or a lot of points in the paint. I think that's going to be the I think that's going to be their offense limited middle range shots or mid range shots, very rocket like on the offensive side. This year for them is all about getting to the NBA Finals since the East is as wide open as it can be with Kawhi Leonard no longer there. And really only a few teams truly competing for getting to the finals in the Eastern Conference. And I think another big thing for them is with that, with more of the three-point shooting, as well as developing Giannis's perimeter game, is going to be a lot more of Giannis not being as stuck as he is when it comes to crunch time, clutch, crunch time, clutch time. I butchered that. Crunch time, clutch time. It's going to be a lot more of him not being stuck, not being double-teamed, him figuring it out, making big-time shots. So that's a lot to look forward to. Hopes are big for them. Plans are big. Hopefully they, hopefully they are able to follow up on it. The other team, the Indiana Pacers, who did get... Malcolm Brogdon, and do have Victor Oladipo returning from injury. I believe that they are 
one of the few teams that are actually competing to go to the NBA Finals, and I think that they're more of an undercover sleeper team. I think that when people think of the Eastern Conference and who are the true contenders there, immediately their mind jumps to Milwaukee Bucks and the 76ers. But the Pacers are sleeper picks. Now, I don't think that, I don't think that they're going to win the whole thing, obviously. But I think that I think that they can make it interesting in the road to the finals, especially in the Eastern Conference. I think that overall, especially as seen last year with Oladipo, and without Oladipo, this Pacers team works really, really well as a team, as a unit, not very individualistic. They're all about the offense working together. You had uh, Sabonis doing great off the bench. You had Miles Turner not putting up huge numbers, but again, doing his job. You had Oladipo doing great. You had Bojan Bogdanovic going off some games. Now, he's not there anymore. So I think the offense around Oladipo is going to struggle a bit. And I think that this season is really about the offense and Oladipo. I think that this season is about the offense figuring out how to play well when Oladipo is not on the floor. And I think that this is also the, the year for Oladipo to finally, finally get really healthy and start returning to the court to battle with his teammates. Yes, they're, they can make things really interesting in the Eastern Conference on the road to the finals. But I think that this season's more about Oladipo, team chemistry, and the whole offense when Oladipo's not on the court. Next, I have the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons, I really don't know what to do with them. They're really stuck, and they have been this year and last year. They're not really going anywhere. They're not falling out of playoff contention. They're not really rising up to the final, finals contenders or huge playoff contenders at that point. They're really stagnant. Blake Griffin's health is always in flux. I really do not know what to do with this Pistons team. And, and I think that they also need to figure out what to do with that. Just like how I'm trying to figure out what the heck are, they're going to do. They have to figure out what the heck they're going to do. Because they have Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. And initially that seemed like a really, really good idea. But now it's... Like, they'll go on a stretch of some really nice games where Blake Griffin is playing great, but then they go on another huge stretch of, stretch of not playing that great. And they didn't really get anyone else that can really make them better. Yes, they got Derrick Rose, but how much can Derrick Rose really do for that team? I think that they're going to be fun to, to watch with Derrick Rose, Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson... Uh, Andre Drummond, they have a decent bench with, bench with Luke Kennard on it. I, th I think that they're going to be fun to watch, but they're just not there yet where they're actual contenders. They're barely a playoff team. They're stuck. They're not going anywhere. they got to figure out what they're going to do with Blake Griffin's contract, Andre Drummond. It's really a mess, and they're stuck. They're in purgatory. They're, they're in the middle of the pack. They're not great. They're not bad. But they need a plan. They need a plan of action. And they need one fast. Otherwise, 
You're just wasting years here. Nice to, ha nice to have the Chicago Bulls. And I really like where this team is going. They're a young team. They got Kobe White. They got Thomas Hadaransky. They got Chris Dunn. Thaddeus Young. Wendell Carter Jr. Denzel Valentine. Ryan Archidiakno. And not, not all those players are on the young spectrum. But you get my point. They're a young, growing team. Obviously, they didn't play great last year. They didn't go above and beyond in the standings, winning a whole bunch of games. But that's fine. They're a young team. They're a very young, young team. But I think that despite what their standing and their record may have showed, I think that they showed a lot of promise last season. I think that at this point, it's pretty clear what they're supposed to do and what they're going to do, which is to continue to continue developing who they drafted, who they got in free agency, the young players around the two-headed monster of Zach Levine and Laurie Markkinen. I think that's pretty clear. And I think that they are in a spot where they can contend for a playoff spot, but they probably won't get one, but they can, again, make it interesting, contend for one. And if they do, then that's great, but if they don't, that's perfectly fine. Because at this point, it's all about developing your players to work together cohesively, get better on defense, especially get better on defense, especially for them. Because the offense is there, just get better off, uh, defensively. And all of it is just getting that chemistry right, meshing the youth all together. That's literally what it all. That's literally what the season is going to be. And after the season, I think that they take the next step after that to finally try to get to the playoffs, start contending. Now the fifth team, including Cavaliers, this is pretty clear as day. This is clear as day. They're just rebuilding. They got Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. At this point, it's just put those two together and hope it works. That's literally what it is. They have to figure out what to do with Kevin Love. That's another thing. That's another story. But he's probably he's probably just gonna stay in Cleveland. That's really all there is to it for the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're not contending anytime soon. At least not this year. Not next year. They're they're gonna be a bottom feeder team once again. But it's all about developing those two young players. All right. I'm going to take a break, and then I'm going to have the big segment that I usually always have after my break, which is my college football playoff prediction. And I think it's pretty interesting. So stay tuned. Now we can actually talk about the college football playoffs. And yes, we're only halfway through the actual college football season, and it's far too early to actually look ahead and predict the matchups, I'm going to do so anyways. And I'm going to do so by looking at the top 10 teams right now. So we have Alabama, LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State University rounding up the top four. The rest go Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Penn State, Notre Dame, Florida, Georgia. Notre Dame, Florida, and Georgia all have one loss. And we know that when it comes to the college 
when it comes to the college football playoffs, you have to practically you have to practically be undefeated. Otherwise, you have to have a really strong argument for why that one loss does not count or matter as much. In Notre Dame and Florida, in Georgia's case, I really do not see that happening, so I'm eliminating them. Leaving Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, and Penn State, who are all 6-0. That's seven teams that are 6-0 that make the top seven. Now, for the last four years, Clemson and, Clemson and Alabama have been in the playoffs. Not, ne not necessarily one and two, but have been in the playoffs. And that should be the exact same case this year. Now, at, now you can argue, I can argue, you and I can argue that Clemson has a relatively easy schedule. They have only faced, and will only face, one, at this point, one top 25 team. One ranked team. And that, so far, has been Texas A&M. Who they beat, but they don't have anyone else in their upcoming schedule that is ranked. As of now. But, it's hard for me to say that they are not going to be in the playoffs. Just because they go undefeated with an easy schedule. Mainly because the three of the other seven are Big Ten teams that all will face each other aside from Wisconsin and Penn State. They will not face each other this season unless they match up in the Big Ten Championship. And then you also have Alabama and LSU facing off against each other where someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. So with all these teams playing against each other aside from Oklahoma, it's hard for me to say that Oh, Clemson, they'll go undefeated, and they won't get in. It's hard for me to see that. It's possible, but unlikely. So that pretty much puts in Alabama, who is going to get in, and Clemson already in. So that leaves five other teams to fill in those two, those last two spots. What also hits school... What also gets a team into the playoffs is going undefeated. It's going undefeated. And I think that the other team out of LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, and Penn State is Oklahoma. They have already faced Texas, who is a ranked team. And as of now, they will face Baylor, who is also a ranked team. And they will win out. It's, I think it's safe to say Clemson, not Clemson, Oklahoma will most likely win out, including a win at Baylor or against Baylor. So I think that puts Oklahoma right back into the playoffs like they have been for the past two years, back in the playoffs. So that, ha so that leaves Clemson, Oklahoma, and Alabama, given that Alabama beats LSU, which I think that they will, and I believe that they will. That leaves those three teams in the playoffs with one last spot left for LSU, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State. Four teams, one spot. I think that I'm going to 
I'm going to eliminate Penn State from this because I think that their schedule doesn't really give them the best opportunity to get in. They play against Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State coming up. I think that Michigan's gonna be, I think Michigan is going to be a bit tougher if Michigan can hang with them, make it tough. I think Penn State slopes down a bit, and I think that they outright lose to Ohio State. I think that that really nips it in the bud for Penn State. So then it becomes a three-team race for that final spot between Ohio State, Wisconsin, and LSU. And then for LSU, I think that they're gonna I think that they're going to lose against Alabama, and then and then I think that they went out. They have one, one of the tougher schedules they've played against Texas, Florida, Auburn, Alabama. It's a tough schedule. So now, so now it becomes, if they lose against Alabama, does their tough schedule and their sole loss being to Alabama justify them being into the playoffs? Maybe. Maybe. But it depends on how the other games go. If they're really, really close, it's hard for me to see them go in. So that's what I'm gonna say they are probably not gonna go in. They're probably not gonna make the playoffs. But if they beat Alabama, they're for sure going they're for sure going into the playoffs. And at that point it becomes a question of whether Actually there is no question about it because then because then it becomes Clemson, Alabama, LSU, and Oklahoma. You can maybe make an argument if LSU beats Alabama, if Alabama should be in probably they're probably gonna be in but this is all hypothetical I think that Alabama's going to beat LSU and I think that because of that LSU is not going to be in the top four they will not be in the playoffs so now, so now it becomes between Ohio State and Wisconsin it becomes between Ohio State and Wisconsin and these two teams play play against each other and they can potentially play against each other again, in the Big Ten Championship. So that's what makes this really, really, really interesting. And I feel like I can argue that Wisconsin can actually take that last spot. I know, I know. Ha, 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 ha. Wisconsin has not been relevant or good. They've been all right. They haven't been anywhere near the playoffs. And I get that. I understand that. But I can make the argument that they have a good shot. And this is not a hot take at all. That they have a good shot at getting into the playoffs. Just sneaking in. Their first time starting quarterback. This is the first year that, that they started. He's a junior, Jack Cohen. He's been with the team for a while now. So he has that leadership. He has that familiarity in the locker room. He has a good connection with the wide receiving core. He already has that presence in the locker room. He's already a leader. And he does what needs to be done. He doesn't do anything complicated. His stat line is, I think, 1,117 yards. Don't quote me on that exact number, but it's definitely above 1,000. So it's in the 1,100s. With a 76.3% completion percentage, with eight touchdowns, one interception. Now, that does not strike out as something huge. Some Heisman stat. It's nothing crazy. But that's my point. It's nothing crazy. He protects the ball. 
that those eight touchdowns and one interception is the key with that 76.3% completion percentage, just to add on Sherry on top, that's all key right there. That's key, because he protects the ball. He protects the ball and just gives it to Jonathan Taylor. And Jonathan Taylor is a beast. He's putting up Heisman numbers. He is insane. He's crazy good. And then the Wisconsin defense as well is crazy good. They're extremely disciplined, don't get a whole bunch of flags or penalties. They've only allowed 4.83 points per game. And yes, that includes their game against Michigan. It's Michigan. Again, again, Michigan isn't like, you know, really the pedestal that I'm putting it on. It isn't on the pedestal that I'm putting it on. It's really more like on a Less than a stool, really. <laughs> but, but, but you get my point. They have a solid defense. Their defense has scored as many touchdowns as they've given up, which is four. Their defense has scored four touchdowns and has only given up four touchdowns. So they pretty much equalized it right there. And of course, Jonathan Taylor is a beast. On the other hand, Ohio State is great. I get that. They have Justin Fields. He's actually putting up Heisman numbers, unlike Jack Cohen. He's obviously great. But they lost a great head coach in Urban Meyer. After Nick Saban brought LSU to glory, and then he left. He brought them to glory. They had an okay season after that, and then he left. Plus, Miles didn't bring LSU to glory like that. No, it took some time. It took some time. For this example, Urban Meyer. He won two championships in Florida. Two championships. And then he left. Florida didn't just come back to greatness out of the ashes. No, they went through a couple head coaches. And they finally are now, in a bit, a tiny bit after Urban Meyer left, but it took some time. Finally, got into a, into the rankings because they were out of it for quite some time. They were were at the bottom of it for quite some time. It takes time after a coach leaves for another program or just leaves in general, retires. It takes some time for that team to come to what it once was, to that rank that it once was to the greatness that it once was. And I think that's going to be the case for Urban Meyer's Ohio State. What once was Urban Meyer's Ohio State University under Ryan Day. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. They're not going to be there this year. Next year or the year after that, they'll finally be back there. And so, with that in mind, I think that, that Wisconsin does actually have a really, really good shot at getting into the playoffs. Especially if especially if they beat Ohio State. It's a big if, but if they do, they have a really, really good shot. So my prediction is Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and then Wisconsin. And then Wisconsin. I'm very confident in Alabama, Clemson, and Oklahoma making it. Wisconsin, I'm not at that level of confidence for Wisconsin. But I don't think it's a hot take. I think it's realistic. 
I think it can actually happen. I think that I think that Wisconsin can do it. I believe that they can do it. I believe that they can do it. The only other team that I can see getting into that last final spot, last final fourth spot, is LSU. That's really it. So I think it's either going to be Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, or Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, or LSU. And LSU. But um, I'm putting my money on that first one with Wisconsin. I think it's time that Wisconsin gets there. So that's it for my college football playoff predictions. I have Wisconsin sneaking in. Should be very interesting to see how that pans out. I will be doing a follow-up on that once it comes to that time to do a follow-up on it. But that is it for today's episode, today's podcast. I went over the NFL headlines, four of them from this past week. I went over the Central Division in the Eastern Conference and my prediction for the college football playoffs, even though it's far too early to do a prediction on it in week what, eight? Yeah, far too early. Anyways, that's from the G-Truth. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't noticed, I actually did put a new logo. I don't know why I pointed right there. It's not going to pop up right there. I put up a new logo, an icon. It isn't quite within the YouTube logo circle. So I'll get that fixed. And once that's fixed, it'll be amazing. I like the, I like the design. Very simple, gets the point. I like it. Anyways, thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the Wallows. They're really good. I really enjoy it. Anyways, stay tuned for next time. Peace out.